Welcome to the May 2007 podcast of Ordinary Means. I'm your host, Sean Nolan, uh, here with Matt Bowling. Hi, Sean. Uh, hi, Matt. How you doing? Doing well, thank you. And we have a special guest today. We're recording here at the Twin Lakes Conference in Jackson, Mississippi. And we're here today with Dr. Peter Jones. Good to be with you, too. It's good to uh, be with students of mine, by the way. <laughs> yes, this is, uh, that is our inside connection here to have uh, Dr. Jones on as the... Uh, <coughs> Peter was our uh, New Testament professor at Westminster Seminary in California, where you're you're still teaching adjunct. I'm adjunct professor and scholar in residence at Westminster in California. Okay, so one day we'll have the Peter Jones Chair of Theology at Westminster <laughs> Seminary. Keep dreaming. <laughs> so the um, Peter is also a uh, you're an author. I've got a short list here. You've got a bunch you've just written. Uh, you obviously capturing the pagan mind, uh, subtitled Paul's Blueprint for Thinking and Living in the New Global Culture. Uh, Spirit Which, Wars. by the way, was really the third in the trilogy of Gnostic Empire Strikes, Strikes Back, Spirit Wars. And the title of this book, which is now Capturing the Pagan Mind, was going to be Return of the Rabbi. Which I wanted. I really I wanted, wanted to, to see that. Yes, but anyway, it never happened. <laughs> uh, you wrote a book on cracking the Da Vinci Code, mm-hmm. uh, which is, in fact, I just watched the movie uh, the other night, and I found that it, I thought it was interesting that they made the character, the main character, Langdon, more of a skeptic in the movie. The movie changed the book, and that's why it was not a bestseller or a best movie. Yeah. Actually, I had been receiving up to the point of June two invitations a week to go and speak about the Vinci Code. Wow. The movie hit. I actually gave a lecture the day the movie came out, and I've never, ever given a lecture since. Interesting. Isn't that interesting? The movie absolutely uh, stopped the phenomenon of the Vinci Code, and I think it did so because it... It lost its nerve. It it, mm-hmm. it was yeah. much more of a tentative kind of thing. And yes, whereas the book is edgy, it's deeply anti-Christian. It doesn't hold back, and I think that was what attracted people. The movie tried to reproduce the book, but change a lot of that edginess. But as a movie, of course, uh, it did not have a lot of action the way movies do this Wait, well, it suffered from the same thing the book did it was preaching I suppose but even less preaching it was more hesitant uh, perhaps you know yeah I think Ron Howard was sort of covering his backside actually um, but he did not want to be known as a rabid anti-Christian film director yeah mm. Uh, as I was saying, that the, the, as a movie, of course, it had all this discourse and dialogue, and people don't particularly like that kind of thing in movies. So it failed on two levels, and uh, I've never given a lecture on the Vinci Code since. I was, actually kind of, I was actually kind of bummed because I had prepared a whole bunch of material, and we got people in our church to take people to the movie in hopes that you'd have the opportunity to really engage with them and everything, and we went to the movie, and I was so bummed. But it was so weak. It, it was like that. You're calling it edge, but it was the, um, you know, the the, the in your faceness of the That's book I mean. was not there in the movie at all. And it was kind of like, 
oh, so maybe he thought this was it, and maybe he didn't. And in the book, it's so much more strong. Well, Campus Crusade produced 10 million brochures to help people who were going to watch the movie. It was uh, amazing production. It cost $4 million. I think there's a garage somewhere full of these reactions to the movie. Uh, We all suffered from that, but they were trying to get ahead, which is not bad. And uh, it was a flop. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Of course, now you get, you know, other things. You get the uh, lost tomb of Jesus, and that comes up, and and then disappears. You have... um, the most recent thing I've done is an article in the Christian Science Monitor on the secret, yes. which is a uh, do-it-yourself human potential on spiritual steroids. Was and this one of the books announced on the Oprah show? That, exactly. Yeah. And uh, since that's time, it and the DVD have sold three million copies. That would have been, if you wanted to go take a look at that article by Peter Jones of the Christian Science Monitor, that would have come out on their website yesterday. Uh, we're recording the 11th of April, so 10th of April, Christian Science Monitor. You should be able to search for that on the Internet and see that article by Peter. Well, Peter, let's talk. Um, obviously, the title of the podcast is Ordinary Means. Um, I think what we'd like to pick your brain on today is uh, the way paganism has seeped into the church and the way it's affected, particularly preaching and the sacraments and prayer. Maybe we could deal with, with those one at a time. First off, you could tell us what is what is good preaching. In fact, we had this conversation last night. You were describing your pastor. And I thought that was a wonderful picture of what good preaching looks like. Well, I'm not going to answer that question yet, because <laughs> I think in paganism we do have extraordinary means. Hmm. Your podcast is called Ordinary Means. Paganism offers a whole choice of extraordinary means for the transformation of the psyche and the self. And when you put those two things together, often Christianity comes away looking rather tame and tepid. And people are seduced by these promises to experience moments of radical transformation by these extraordinary means of uh, altered states of consciousness. Mm. And of course, ordinary means, and I'm probably in agreement with what you're doing, ordinary means takes us very seriously as created human beings with minds. In the extraordinary means of paganism, you have to silence the mind. You have to stop thinking. You have to get beyond the body, get beyond the ordinary. The ordinary, exactly. Get beyond the ordinary because the answers lie in the extra ordinary. In, in, in this sort of spiritual world beyond uh, what we see. And of course, Hinduism, for instance, is called what we see Maya. So, the ordinary means would be an illusion to people uh, because they always want to get beyond those illusions to the reality. Of course, we believe that what they introduce is radical illusion. So it's interesting to see how, at that level, 
uh, these two things radically contradict each other, just as Paul calls pagan thinking foolishness, and indeed pagans call Christianity schizophrenia. So <laughs> we are constantly in this ping-pong game, and naturally so, because we are, I believe, and this is why I'm steering the conversation this way, first of all, I, I do believe that we are in the presence of what Reformed theologians have called for many years the antithesis between two ways of viewing the world. They ultimately are the only two ways of viewing the world, and they are in radical contradiction one to the other. One is pagan monism, and the other is biblical theism. Explain pagan monism. Pagan is the worship of the earth. Monism is the belief that everything is one. And so you are worshiping the earth as made up of elements that ultimately all share the same substance, are one. And what they all share, actually, is a spark of the divine. So they unite them. That's right. Everything is united because we all have a part of God in us. And so... That's the basis of the oneism, of the notion of the reconciliation of everything and the bringing of peace and, and, and of all these utopic notions, because we all are finally the same. And what is absolutely essential then is to eliminate the ordinary means of living, like the distinctions of male and female, true and false, right and wrong. Word, not word. Yeah. Uh, all, the, all these normal, ordinary distinctions we make have to be eliminated in, in, in paganism. Uh, so pagan monism is this oneness doctrine of worship of the cosmos, really, as divine. Biblical theism is the belief that the cosmos has its own existence and nature, which is different than God who made it. And so instead of oneness, we believe in two-ness, that there are two kinds of existence. And creator and creator. Creator and creature. And, and so the creature must affirm, if you like, the ordinariness of creation and not try to step outside of being a creature to imitate, eventually convince himself that he is God. And I think that's where these extraordinary means are employed, trying to convince us that we are really not creatures, that we are actually creators. Mm. Uh, Self-creators. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this book, The Secret, that you just wrote the article on. That's the same thing. Yeah, the whole, the whole principle is sort of a believe and achieve. That's right. That I can I What can you achieve. imagine you can have, you can actually create it. Which is, because you which have, is what God does. Exactly. You give to the human being the attributes of God. So that's um, actually, you see, that is the employment of extraordinary means. To, to transform the ordinary, that is the created, into something extra and something mystical. But unfortunately, I do believe it is incorrect. It is giving to human beings a notion that is false, and so it is a virtual reality. Mm-hmm. It doesn't correspond to what is true reality. And you can play around with the mind. 
know, and you can produce these mystical experiences. And and so we get to your leading question, which was, uh, well, how does this come to the church? And of course, it comes to the church, uh, which is in a culture that is rushing towards these extraordinary means of self-transformation. And the church says, oh, we've got to be able to propose something too. And uh, we're a little embarrassed that what we have is so ordinary. <laughs> Even though it's not. I mean, because this is, this is the work of God in the world. Well, it is, but it, it's the way God does work. You know, there's nothing, in a certain sense, there's nothing extraordinary about the way God set up the world. Uh, at the same time, it is true that God, by the Spirit, can do miraculous things within us. But the effects are wonderfully ordinary in that it makes us good human beings. It makes us good husbands and wives and obedient children and good employers and hard-working employees and honest citizens and things like that. that you know, we started to take these things for granted that we can actually build a utopia where these basic elements in human living are simply sort of pushed to one side and we, we want to create a world where all means, all extraordinary means, uh, all choices, all desires are normalized. Of course, it produces total chaos. In the end, it will produce chaos, not utopia. And actually what you're seeing is the deconstruction of the cosmos, which means an ordered system, into chaos, which is a disordered system. The reversal of Genesis 1. Yeah, it's, a, it's very interesting, yeah. The, the ancient Gnostic texts talked about undoing creation in order to get back beyond our human existence, our fleshly existence, and to get actually beyond the God who created the world, who is an evil being, to discover our spiritual existence beyond God in fellowship with all these other spiritual beings. So. The, the eschatology of Gnosticism is the uncreation of the creation. Where, where do you see, Peter, you just done this article on the secret, where do you see the war going on practically in the life of individual Christians where they go in the bookstore and the secret's there and they've seen it on Oprah, they come on Sunday and they have a profession of faith in Christ. How, how, can, how can pastors and elders and churches show people um, we'll just take the Bible, for example, take the Word, one of the means, that the, the way that it's supposed to work and how they can be aware of the extraordinary that's being pushed on them um, in the culture. For inter, in, in, inner transformation. All right, well, I think you have to begin when you're seeking to help people by describing what is the Bible's cosmology by describing who God is and who we are and understanding the big and essential difference between us and God and then giving to people a realistic understanding of who they are, what they can expect in this created world. We are not opposed to extraordinary transformation, but it's a future event. Hmm. Uh, God will indeed transform 
his first creation into a new creation. And that will be extraordinary. And it will blow us away. <laughs> Amen. But <laughs> in the meantime, by our work. No. But in the meantime, you see, we have the anticipation of that by the Spirit. And so we're living in, in the reality of existence, taking very seriously the nature of the creation as God constructed, but by the power of the Spirit, accepting who we are now and looking forward to the time when God will indeed transform the heavens of the earth. We were just in a, in a, uh, a talk where a man... Um, Living Duncan, who's a friend of all of ours, um, was quoting Al Mohler. And he made this tremendous quote that Al Mohler uh, had in a, in a talk last year, a conference called Together for the Gospel, where Mohler was saying that the typical, typical American thinks that their problems are alien and their solution is within themselves. And the Gospel is in direct contrast to that because the Gospel tells us that our problem is ourselves and the solution is in us. Is that, is that, is that distinctively paganism Christianity? Is that Absolutely. the antithesis? No, no, it is. It's another way of speaking about the antithesis. Um, and I noticed it as well. Uh, I heard the same quote. And I thought to myself, that's exactly what we're talking about. Uh, that paganism looks within for uh, salvation and uh, believes that the problem is not our fault. Actually, we're told that we're asleep. That's the worst we get. Ignorant. We're ignorant of who we are. We should just wake up. The Bible tells us that we are guilty, and we should wake up to the fact that we can't save ourselves, and that God is the only one who can. But it is very interesting, as I heard that quote, it reminded me of a study by two British sociologists who said that the modern culture has made a subjectivistic turn away from life as external structures and orders of being to notions of personal subjective wellness. You can see how the way the modern culture is turning towards that subjectivism, where one's inner self becomes the norm of what's good and evil, and what's right and wrong for me, my well-being, my feeling about things, uh, is, a, is a definition of life that fits perfectly this neo-pagan gospel. Hmm. And so what sociologists are seeing at the level of, of culture on the surface, paganism is providing at a much deeper level with a spiritual theory about who we are, namely that ourselves, the deep self on which we are counting, is actually the divine self. And so we can't trust... It's the most reliable because I'm actually divine. That's right. This is my inner self or as Jung would say, the unconscious, is something we can trust because it is the true self. And the true self is divine, and the true self knows what we need. Now, someone who's been told all that is very suspicious of the Bible that tells them what they need, and tells them what they should do. Yeah, I was going to say, is that going to have, it seemed to me that would have two effects on the church. 
people would either leave the church simply because the church is telling them what they need and they're saying, no, I can find it in myself, or the church will begin to preach, you can find it in yourself. Correct, and that's always been the case. There have been notable apostates that have left the church, but there's been a long history of liberalism, which seeks to modify the church's gospel in terms of the latest philosophical and spiritual theories on offer in the culture, which means that people don't have to leave the church. They simply change the church. They change the church's message. And so we have had this diluting of the Christian message in our time, but it's happened over the centuries. Various forms of paganism have come into the church in a liberal expression, and uh, the church has to be aware of this. This will happen. It happened in the first century. You know, Paul was denouncing people who come in as wolves or would come in, uh, people who claim the resurrection had already taken place, and probably by that he means that they believe that the resurrection was a spiritual resurrection. Yeah, and the that's, bodily resurrection. That's right. Yeah. And, and, and that's, of course, what a lot of people today believe, too, who are in the church. But they don't realize that that very issue itself is determining how they think about existence. Because the absolutely crucial nature of the bodily resurrection is based upon God as the creator. And you can have a spiritual resurrection and believe that God is in all things as a pantheistic God. And so there's a lot of writing on that. I could go into it more in the amount of time. But there's a lot of writing on that choice of the nature of the resurrection. Hmm. Well, let me say one last question because I know you've got to go to uh, another engagement. One of the ways that, that we see the ordinary means being set aside at times in the church is by an emphasis on what a common friend of ours is called therapeutic. And tell us how that, which has been embraced by so many evangelicals as I come into church and I'm given ten ways that I can live differently tomorrow and, and that what I what I need from the pulpit is better advice. And show us how that's a, that that's not a, a biblical kind of notion. Well, it's the notion that we've just been talking about that my inner subjective well-being is the ultimate norm hmm. of truth about the nature of the world and for myself. And so I want my inner self to be caressed. Um, if you come at it from a biblical position, which is much more realistic, uh, you come to the question of who you are with a realism about your failings and your, alas, constant ability to fool yourself and to uh, not listen to what is true. And so if you come in that way, you want to hear the truth. You don't want to necessarily be stroked. You don't want your ego to be gently pumped up. You want to hear the truth. And the truth is that we are sinners. And we need to be encouraged to examine ourselves constantly. To ask, uh, are we allowing sin to reign in our mortal members and things like that. Um, And that if you come that way, that is the most therapeutic (laughs) in the end. Because it is a divine therapy that brings you to understand who you are, understand who God is, 
and seek to please him in ways that he requires and makes clear in the scripture. Takes the focus off of me. Sure. And puts it back. Well, yeah. Which actually is the best for me. Because yeah, I was created to worship God. Exactly. That's what Jesus says, not my will, but yours be done. And actually went and was slain in the next few hours. Cruel death. That's the Christian notion. It's very, very sort of anti-therapeutic in a certain sense. <laughs> in terms of the way we see therapy. And yet, look at the results of that decision to obey God rather than his own feelings. It has produced the greatest event in human history, namely the resurrection of a dead body from a tomb and the explosion of the Christian faith uh, throughout the world for the last 2,000 years. So we can never judge the importance of something by how it feels to our troubled egos. Hmm. Well, Peter, we appreciate your time. If you, if you all are listening to the podcast and want to get more information on Peter Jones and his ministry, you can go to quip.org, that's C-W-I-P-P.org. Dr. Jones does conferences uh, throughout the world and in local churches, and there at the website you can get in contact with him and find out if he can fit uh, what you'd like him for into your schedule. Thank you, Dr. Jones. Oh, I'm very well. Appreciate you for being here. God bless your ministry. Well, welcome back to part two of the... Uh, Peter Jones interview podcast. Unfortunately, Peter uh, had a prior engagement, and we only had him for just about a half hour there. That was great, though, that we did have. Oh, him. it was good. In fact, I was just in the in the break here between the two sections. I was going back and listening to it, and it was so fascinating. I, I almost just wanted to listen to the whole thing through one more time because Peter Peter brings up uh, he brings up some issues that really uh, really draw out some of the errors that the church is falling into. Absolutely. I, I thought when he, he made the comment about we want our, uh, we want to be coddled. He didn't use the word coddled. He, he used the word... Uh, that was the concept though, yeah. Yeah, we want to, we want to just be Told we're okay. Of, told yeah. we're all right. Um, and Give it a few tips as to how our make our, 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 uh, our egos feel a little better. Now, who would have thought that the antidote to modern paganism is a healthy understanding of total depravity hmm. um, as well as a, a strong reliance upon the resurrection. Hmm. I mean, when, yeah. you, when you understand basic doctrines, basic doctrines so if, if you're a pastor and you're, and you're listening to this and you're going, okay, how do, I, how do I work out what I just heard Peter say? There was a lot of great stuff there. Well, essentially what he was saying is don't be attracted by the extraordinary right when you have the extraordinary already in the ordinary and in the spirit's work through that ordinary to transform us yes is that that it's not that we're we think that the christianity the effect upon people and even the effect upon cultures is anything but ordinary it's simply that god has appointed these ordinary means to accomplish the extraordinary and then we're not to go seek the extraordinary but to expect it in the use of the ordinary, and, it, and it's it's a, it's a different concept. You know, it's interesting. He was talking about the that um, two-ness and oneness, and that that may be new language for people. The way that I have um, tried to teach that in my own congregation is just to make very simple for them 
And you can see diagrams of this if you read Peter's book, Cracking Da Vinci's Code. Now, there's a series of diagrams uh, that, that are at the beginnings of each of the chapters that will help you sort of visually see this if you're a visual person. Um, but really, the, the Bible's view of things is that all is two, that there is, uh, in the beginning, God. And then the next word is the clue of everything, created. And there, right from the start, we have uh, that there is one who is creator and there is everything else. And in that sense, all is two. Either uh, all the beings, all, all the existence that is out there uh, is either the one true God or that which he has created. The modern myth that's today, and you learn this through the Star Wars movies and through many of the Disney movies, is that there is a... We'll just pick the Disney no, pretty, one. Because pretty much anything pagan. Pretty much anything pagan, but it doesn't it, it doesn't come off necessarily as we're teaching you paganism. No. Like for example, we're teaching yes. you in in, uh, in some of the Disney movies um, uh, the circle of life, and, and isn't that wonderful that this is a circle of life? But recognize that in that the statement that's being made is that all is one. When we would diagram, and we learned this in, in seminary and in other places from uh, Cornelius Van Til, um, the way that, that, that Van Til would talk about this two-ness is he would put two circles up on the board, one circle representing God the creator and the other circle representing the creation, that which God made. And in that sense, all is two. There is not a circle of life. There is, if you will, two circles and one who intrudes in revelation to bridge uh, the the distance between the two. One one circle eternal, and one circle created. Yes, absolutely. Now I, I think where Peter's teaching is so rich is that he demonstrates how everything that is not Christian is pagan. Yeah. He, he demonstrates how that lie. In, in Genesis 3, when Satan comes and he says, here's the fruit, you should eat it, and, it's, and you get that sense reading, reading Genesis that it was, the, it was the easiest choice in the world for Eve to make. Hmm. And then to turn to her husband and for Adam to go, hmm, you know, that makes sense. Well, what was the lie? The lie was, if you eat this fruit, you will be like God. The lie... Be elevated from being simply a creature. Yes. The lie was to break down the creature-creator distinction. Right. And to make all one. Right. You too can be God. Uh, and that's what this book, The, the Secret, is doing, is saying you've, you have within you this divine power to somehow create uh, your better life, which, oh, I, I didn't even see this connection. Joel Osteen. Yeah. Yep. Your best life now. You have the power within you to grab hold of that divine fruit, as it were. Take a bite, and you can have your best life now. Mm. Which also, uh, Tim Challies, who's here at the conference, reminds us uh, there's a board game that he has played based on your best life now. So if you're struggling to find your best life now in the Word of God, you can simply buy the board game. And that will that will take you. That'll take care of you. That will take, in the in the old days it was a Ouija board, right? But now it's the uh, the Joel Osteen Best Life Now board game. And of course, God wants for us to have the best life. 
Uh, but it's not self-created. It's not self-created. It's, it's in work. And it's not what we want. I should take that back. It's what we want if we're truly following the Lord. Yes. If there, is something, has, there is something we were created for. Yes. And it's us learning to match and seeking that, the, that they're desiring that, that what we want and what we are created for come closer and closer and closer. I talk about in teaching the Ten Commandments um, to, to my congregation that, uh, that, that the law, living according to God's um, principles, is the best that life can be lived. It's the, the, the law, the commands of God are not a straitjacket. They're pure freedom. We were made to live in a certain way. We're made to live with these distinctions that Peter talks about between male and female. Peter Jones does, between male and female. And that if we lose that central distinction between the creator and what he's made, that that is the beginning of the loss of all distinctions. And that's the root of so many different ills in the church. Um, this is a point that Machen makes in the 1920s when theological liberalism came in. And he, he makes this wonderful book, which you, if you've not read, and so many people have it, if you've not read Christianity and Liberalism, um, that's is an absolutely um, it's an easy read. It's not a difficult read, but it is so crucial if you're to understand um, the fact that uh, that there is only Christianity and the lie, as Romans one twenty five puts it. There's the truth and the lie. The lie is multiform, but its focus any one of the forms of the lie always is to take the emphasis off. Uh, worship of the creator and to put it somewhere else in America it, it, we're talking about the therapeutic with Peter the emphasis is on the worship of well ourselves <laughs> and our yeah. feeling good yeah it's not in Hinduism it's on a it's on a created God but really that's the difference it is is the focus of worship on something that's made or on the maker on some level, uh, and this is a place that this is creeping into the church. On some level, the church needs to watch out for the um, the health uh, ideologies that are present today. Mm -hmm. uh, because so much of what we're seeing in these, and I, I don't, I don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we shouldn't eat well mm -hmm. and that we shouldn't exercise. You know, the Apostle Paul says exercises of some benefit. Yes. But we go too far to the point where we where we worship the health food. We worship the exercise. We place that as our primary. You know, we say, oh, I, I didn't get to run today. And and we're all de and we're depressed. As if our life revolved around the running. Right. Or, oh, my goodness, I just ate a French fry when you know, maybe that's all there is to eat right now is a French fry. Um, so I think we, we have to be careful. And uh, as pastors, we're going to need to examine the things that our congregations are looking at. And as members of the congregation, we need to examine our own lives and say, are there areas that I'm turning over centrality of my life to? Mm -hmm. um, you know, our obsessions. Uh and, and I think Peter Peter brings that out uh, in that he labels things what they are. He, he draws that, that fine, well, sometimes not so fine line, but the hard and fast line between what is Christian 
and what is not Christian or pagan. Right. And right. so often today, we live in a day of relativism, where we say, well, I'm a Christian, but if you, my, my family member or my friend, don't agree with me, well, well, that's your, that's your view, and I'm going to let you have that view. Well, the Bible doesn't, the Bible comes down a lot harder than that. Right. It's, if you're not a Christian, you're, you're not only, you not only have a different view, you have the wrong view. You have the view that is ultimately going to lead you to hell. Right. You have, uh, you have a very, you're in a very dangerous spot. You're a pagan. Interestingly, one of the newest edges, and I was just reminded of this today and of my need to pick up these books and to, to perhaps do some seminars in the area where I minister. We were reminded today at this conference that we've been attending uh, with Peter Jones um, of two influential books that have been written in the last year. Uh, we'll, I'll plug somebody else here. If you do not get um, Al Mohler, uh, it's M-O-H-L-E-R, if you don't get his emails uh, telling you when a new commentary has been posted, you don't read his blog, uh, your life is bereft. Because <laughs> Al is just so good with so many of these things. And he... Um, alerted me to the fact that both Richard Dawkins and, uh, I'm going to remember, I'm going to forget the guy's name, Storms is the last name. Sam Storms. Sam Storms. Both wrote books in 2006, uh, mid to late 2006, uh, commending a combativeness by a group of the, that's called the New Atheism, a combativeness against Christianity, that Christianity is not to be viewed as something that's just to be put up with, but that is actually immoral. That it's not just not just diluted, but um, to be suppressed. Uh, we we had a brother here at the conference that we're at with a number of international folks, um, and, and we're seeing this suppression uh, in some of the European countries in the refusal of the governments of those countries to allow Christian families to homeschool their own children. We see this in Germany. We just heard about it in in Sweden today, where. The government is saying, no, we're so committed to paganism, we're so committed to the oneness of everything, that we will force your children to learn our view. And uh, Peter, in the, Peter Jones, in the beginning of Capturing the Pagan Mind, um, talks, gives you a vision sort of for Revelation and the picture there that God gives us of what this beast will look like. And it's a combination uh, of spiritual and political power. And he tries to make the case that in the 21st century, that's what we're seeing develop in the world is not an atheism, not an agnosticism, not a church-state divide, but a state pushing a new church that's pagan and that is the lie. Well, Peter made that point yesterday when he was talking. If you imagine atheism as a circle, uh, most people would say atheism is a separate circle from paganism. Mm. But the point that Peter made yesterday was, no, in America, paganism is a circle that has subsumed or consumed atheism. So that the two, uh, while atheism can exist as a non-spiritual form of paganism, right. at the same time, much of what we see of atheism today is a pagan embracing atheism. Absolutely, absolutely. And to recognize that the, that the atheism in it 
is um, <laughs> it's a focus on something creative. Whether one's an atheistic scientist and you think that the answer is in science, whether you're an, an atheistic philosopher and you think that the answer is in philosophy, that the, the organizing principle, if you're a pastor, if you're a teacher, and you're thinking about apologetics, that the organizing principle scripturally for how to view the world's religions, and there's something in, in my, my personal blog about this if you're interested, but it, it um, that, that the organizing principle biblically of the world's religions is that all of them in some way are focused on something created. And, and that's the great help that Peter gives us, I think, is helping us to see those other religions really as united despite their diversity. So maybe we could close this simply by saying, if you, if you, if you heard Peter just now, uh, if you're listening to us and you're saying, okay, it's, it's interesting, but I, I don't really feel like I'm up against paganism right now. Take another look. Peter has a, a little book called... Um, Oh, what is it? What's the Go- one? Gospel, Two colors. Gospel, truth, pagan lies. Thank you. Gospel, truth, pagan lies. Pick up a copy of that and just begin to think about these issues because the more that you think about them, the more you're going to see what Calvin, John Calvin said, that our hearts are idle factories. And so the pagan heart is creating all sorts of idols in this world. And many of those idols are very attractive even to Christians in the church. And so we need to guard against these things. We need to protect the flock of God. Uh, we, need to, we need to love our brothers and sisters, partly by being aware of what is going on in our culture. This is very real. Uh, this is very dangerous. This is having already a huge effect. I think if I could label uh, Peter with one very positive word, Peter is a prophet. Yeah. He sees where our culture is going in a way that many of us, because we're so comfortable in our culture right now, uh, don't we don't feel that we don't feel the weight of it uh, that Peter does. You know, uh, similar to Francis Schaeffer, who saw much of what we have in our culture today, all the way back in the 70s. So uh, pick up that book, pick up some of Peter's works. Uh, that Gospel Truth, Pagan Lies is a great introduction into some of the things that Peter talks about. And uh, we thank you for being with us on this podcast for May 2007. Uh, Until next time, we encourage you to continue to pursue God uh, by His grace and through His ordinary means. 